Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Well, hopefully um, that sounded all right. I'm I'm not the usual worship leader, (laughs) but... um, You sounded lovely, Jared. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't make everyone run away. So I'm glad that everyone's still on the uh, on the on the broadcast. <laughs> um, no, I just I felt like you know with what we're going to be talking about today um, in the message, but also um, just what's you know everything going on. I think it's really important for us to remember who we are and to to if we don't already know how to to teach and practice. Um, you know, finding space in God's presence because it is, it is true. Like in his presence, we find peace. Um, and so, you know, if you grew up in the church, maybe you know how to, how to spend time in the presence of God and, and get into that place where you can, you know, lay that down and receive from him. Um, maybe, but even if you have grown up in the church, it's no guarantee that you still do it. I struggle with it, you know, myself. It's interesting how I feel like because I'm at home every day, I actually find it harder to spend time in God's presence. It's so weird. And so I have to be very intentional about taking those moments. And, and so I just feel like it's important for us to, to make sure we do that here. Um, but I will, it is true. Like there is nothing like being in the presence of God. Uh, so hopefully that was encouraging for you. Uh, we are going to begin our uh, new series today, a new message series that we're um, going through. It's entitled Overcomer. Um, and uh, hopefully you guys were able to see the video um, that we had put up earlier this week. It's just a little promo video. It's something really important, but it is there uh, for you to view if you'd like. Um, you know, this series is really um, all about, well, overcoming. And while that sounds like a cliche, a Christian cliche, um, the Bible speaks a lot about victory. We are more than conquerors, right? So there's this verse that um, where it says that we are more than conquerors. It talks a lot about us overcoming fear, right, of us being victorious in Christ. But if we're honest, I would say most of us don't really feel like that on a regular basis. I know that I don't. Can I see a hand? Do you always feel like you're, you know, anybody else? Like, you know, we are not people who feel like we are victorious, overcoming individuals. Oftentimes, if you're like me, you can feel like the weight of your life um, you know, like the circumstances actually weigh you down and hold you back more than you are the one dictating. And yet the Bible speaks so clearly about who we are in Christ and, um, and that we are not to be held down and that we actually have the power of Jesus Christ living inside of us to, to overcome those obstacles. And so what we're going to be doing in this four-week series, um, two of which, two messages of which, uh, Heather is going to be teaching. Um, I'm excited for that uh, at the end of our series here. But uh, four different uh, areas of struggle that, that, that many of us face. Um, and so today's uh, message is really called Overcoming the Curse of Comparing. Overcoming the Curse of Comparing. Um, I have struggled with this for a very long time. Um, comparisons is something that that I do a lot, um, whether it be as um, as a teenager, 
uh, growing up, whether it is an adult, whether it's at work, whether it's as a pastor, um, as another, as a Christian, um, as a husband, as a father, I find myself often looking at other people, wondering where I stand. Um, and sometimes I feel like, oh, you know what? I'm better than, I'm, a, I'm in a better place than that person is. I'm doing okay. And other times I feel really small and I feel really, um, you know, insignificant when I compare myself to other people. And, and the problem is, is that um, each one of us are made the way that we are meant to be. We have the personalities we are meant to have, the likes that we are meant to have, the dislikes that we're meant to have. Um, some of that stuff obviously is shaped by our environment and all of those kinds of things. But really, um, who we are, God loves it. And it's special, right? There is not another me. There is not another you. But the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. And what I have found in my life is that in the times that I have embraced my uniqueness, my quirkiness, my particular interests and passions and personality, I have found I found myself to be alive. I found myself to um, to be useful. I've actually found that there are people who seem to uh, enjoy being around me, um, or that that like or, or value some of the things that I that I you know create. But other times where I have tried to be like someone else or I've compared myself to other people, I've actually found less value. I found less satisfaction and I have found myself feeling stressed and anxious um, and weighed down. And maybe you feel that way too. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. And so here's kind of the overall thought for today for comparison. So we're going to talk a lot about it. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. And I have truly found it in my life. Have any of you experienced that yourselves? Let me see a hand. When you start to compare yourself to other people, you actually find that you are less content with what you have. I have found that to be true myself. But the problem is that it has never been easier, never been easier than to compare than before. Like social media is everywhere. You know, we can say, oh, I wasn't invited to that party, right? Like if you create a backyard barbecue and you invite some people to it, it's public and people can see it. Or even if not, somebody shares a photo of that of a fire that you're at and you're like, I wasn't invited to it. Well, what makes me wrong? Why wasn't I at that fire there? Social media has done that. You see people, oh, they're going on another vacation. I can't even afford to go, you know, like to buy my groceries and that person's going on another cruise or, you know, going to the beach or whatever. Or we look at our marriages, you know, or our relationships and we want to say, look at those relationship goals. But we compare ourselves to those people and we begin to, to feel like, why isn't my marriage, why isn't my relationship in, in the same space? How come I don't do these kinds of dates or how come we don't buy each other these things or whatever? You know, the, all of these kinds of, of, of things. And this is, this is the problem, is that it's so easy to compare. But the reality is, is we don't really know what is going on behind the scenes. You know, we don't know the hard work that it takes, you know, before, uh, for us, for each one of us. We don't know what it takes to, to make those relationships, um, you know, be the way that they are. We don't know the work that went into to that vacation and the savings and and all those types of things, but it's so easy for us to be able to compare. Um, but in the Bible, the Apostle Paul 
Like, actually dealt with this. I love that, you know, I often sometimes fall into the trap of feeling like that the things that I struggle with or the modern societal problems, that they aren't relevant in the Bible. But in reality, Solomon's words never ring more, more true, which is that, that there's nothing new under the sun, right? So Solomon said that, like, you think that you're unique and that you're new, that, like, what you're doing right now or going through is something new and creative, and there's a new reflection of it, but it's been done before in some form or fashion. And so, so while social media is kind of showing us how we compare to each other and all of those kinds of things, the Christians, the early Christians that Paul was dealing with, were dealing with comparing themselves to other people too. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, but they are comparing themselves to others with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. And then he gives like a cap to it. He goes, how ignorant how ignorant it is to compare yourself to other people. Now, we don't know the specific circumstance. It may have been that he was that these Christians were talking about other Christians who were circumcised because that was a big deal. That a lot of people who weren't Jewish um, that came to know Christ, they were the Gentiles, they didn't have the Jewish right of circumcision. And the early church said, you don't have to be circumcised. That's Jesus is the one who circumcises your heart. You don't need to be circumcised physically. But there was this comparison that was going on. So that's possibly it. It could have been still people who were Christians, like there were a flood of women, for example, who were the outcasts of society in the sense of the, the, the patriarchy. Or maybe they were poor people or, or the sick, right? Any of these people may have been still welcomed in the family of God, but were, were um, comparing themselves to those who were rich or who had nice houses or still people who had better living circumstances. Or equally down, those who had the things, right, may have been looking down at those people saying, well, I don't. I don't have that problem, so I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty blessed. But Paul says, don't compare yourselves to other people. It's ridiculous to make somebody else a standard of measurement. We live in the land of Ur, the land of Ur, people who are richer than us, cooler than us, prettier than us, stronger than us, funnier than us, whatever they are plus Ur, right? That's, that's the world that we live in. There's always somebody going to be better or stronger or you know anything more than us and not just her but the s there are people out there who who we actually strive to be likes celebrities and and business owners that people who are considered the wealthiest people the best people the prettiest people and we make them the standard of our lives and this is true for any area of life in ministry the pastors who seem to have you know thousands and thousands of people to come to their church because we live in a society that values much and more right? It's hard for a pastor of a small church to not compare himself to Stephen Furtick or Craig Rochelle or Rich Warren or uh, whatever their names are, Rick Warren, all of these different people and think that maybe I'm not doing something right because we hold them up as the standard of measurement. But that is not the way that God wants us to live our lives. We do it in so many areas. Are my kids, how are they Am I raising my kids right? We're comparing them to other people. There's so many different ways that we compare ourselves. You know, did I get this grade in class? Am I have this job? I went to this school. You know, like so many different things. And it even happened in the Bible with John and Peter. It's kind of an interesting backstory that we see. John and Peter had this like rivalry with each other that's kind of subtle. Um, sorry. So John talks to himself in the third, talks about himself in the third person and says, I am the one that Jesus loved. Not like he didn't love everybody else. Um, 
And so Moses said the same thing when Moses wrote about himself. He wrote about himself as the most humble person. Um, and so John says that he's the one that Jesus loved. And so here we are on Sunday morning early, the Sunday after Jesus was crucified in John chapter 20. Mary goes and visits the tomb, but the tomb is empty, right? And so we're going to pick up in verse 2 what happens here. It says, so Mary came running up to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which is John. So he's talking to himself, the one Jesus loved, making sure that you know that, right? And said, Mary says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, and both started running, but the other disciple outran Peter. <laughs> like, like, what is that important? The other one outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Thank you for that detail, John. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came along behind him, and went straight into the tomb. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first <laughs> also went inside. So we see right away, right, that there is this like this weird like tension. The Peter seemed to be the favorite of Jesus throughout the story of the Gospels, right? We see that a lot. That Peter was the one who got a lot of the focus. Peter was the one who who who, who you know. Uh, denied Jesus, but then was restored by Jesus, which we're going to show in just a moment a little bit. Um, but John writes about himself as like, hey, well, let's just be clear who Jesus's favorite was. And if any of you have like brothers and sisters, there's like this like ongoing sort of joke or maybe not a joke that goes through your family where you're like, I'm the favorite. No, I'm mom's favorite. I'm dad's favorite. Look, look at Kylie right there putting her hands up, even though she knows it's not true. And and yet, and yet that's what we see right here, right? There's this Peter and John, like Peter hears first, John outruns him. Peter goes in first, but John was there first. And so there's all of this. So then after the resurrection, John 21, the next chapter, after the resurrection, Peter says, hey, let's go fishing. So they go out into the boat and Peter and, and the other disciples are there and they're fishing and they're struggling. They're not actually getting any, uh, they're not catching anything. And so so some guy on the, that they see out on the shore that we know of as Jesus in the, you know, in the story, but they don't know it's Jesus. Um, so they're fishing. They don't catch anything. And they look out, and some guy on the boat says, hey, there's fish over here. Maybe cast your net onto the other side. And so they, John like, like realizes that it's Jesus. He goes, it's the Lord. That's him. And what does Peter do? Instead of going, oh, great, let's go see him. Let's pull the fish in. Peter jumps out of the boat, dives in, and wants to get there first. John says, I see him. It's Jesus. And stays in the boat. Peter leaves everybody behind and rushes into the shore, swimming to the shore. So we get to verse 20 in John chapter 21, right? And they're having the meal. They cook the meal. I was reading this passage this week. And so it says that Peter got to the shore and John and the other disciples had caught so many fish. They're like dragging the fish in. I imagine this story where John is just like looking at Peter, like with like darts in his eyes. Be like, can you please come help us? Right. And, and the Bible says that Peter does get up and he goes and he like drags, helps him drag it in. And then they have their fish. And I can just imagine like, like Jesus sitting there cooking some fish and John is like inching 
closer and closer to Jesus on like the little log or whatever. And Peter is kind of like closer and closer and closer. And they're talking. And there's this moment where Peter um, is talking to Jesus. And Jesus goes through three of those steps. Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep, right? And then he does it three times. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And this is a restoration of Peter because Jesus is three times was denied by Peter uh, in, the, in the courtyard uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, right? So he's restoring Peter. He's doing this beautiful moment. And yet in the middle of all of this, we see this, this weird tension with Peter and John. So they're talking and walking. So apparently at some point Jesus gets up and walks with Peter. Uh, and in verse 20, John 21, verse 20, it says, Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple that Jesus loved. So John is following behind Peter and Jesus. We don't know why. And Peter asks Jesus, well, what about him, Lord? And Jesus basically goes, what about him? If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? <laughs> okay, Jesus, like, as for you, follow me. Like, so Jesus, after two chapters of seeing John and Peter, like, have this weird, like, bicker tension with each other that seemingly was there, you know, um, like, there's this, there's just this tension there. Jesus sees it and finally just goes, enough. You're missing the point of all of it. You're missing the point. If I want him to stay alive until I return, what is that to you, Peter? If I want that person to have the biggest house on the block, what is that to you? If I want that person to be blessed financially, to be able to go on vacation six times a year and buy a second home and have a nice job and a beautiful family and a white picket fence, what is that to you? I want you to follow me. I want you to look at me. I want you to focus on me. Pay attention to what I have, what I'm asking of you, what I can offer you. Because if you spend the rest of your time looking at John or looking at Andrew or Matthew and comparing your ministry to them, comparing your social status to them, comparing your clothing to them, comparing your job to them, comparing your, your financial position and security to them, your, your education, you know, where you went to school, your degrees, if you compare yourself to other people, you will miss everything that I have for you and you will not be content. What did we start off by saying? The fastest way to kill something is to compare it to something else. When comparison begins, contentment ends. Contentment ends. And the bottom line is, is that we cannot faithfully follow Jesus if we're always comparing ourselves to someone else. The insecurity that is inside of us that I struggle with very much is like there is no win externally that can satisfy that internal. If I am not satisfied with who I am in my relationship with Christ, there is nothing on the outside that's going to make me feel like permanently better on the inside because no house, no job, no amount of money, no degree, no, no, no publications, no um, wife or kids, nothing is going to satisfy truly inside. Nothing. There's nothing that will give enough attention, not enough likes on Facebook or Instagram, not enough popularity, not enough success. And the problem is that we ask this question, who am I and what am I worth? And we're asking it on the outside. 
We're asking it to our dad. We're asking it to our mom. We're asking to our spouse or to our ex-spouse. We're asking it to our boss. We're asking it to our friends. We're asking it to them, whoever they are. Do I make you proud? Am I enough? Do I belong? Am I accepted? Do I measure up? We're asking all of these questions externally to the wrong people. But the true question that we must ask and what we must answer is who or what is going to define my worth? Who or what is going to define my worth? And if you are a Jesus follower and your answer is anything besides Christ, you will always be running a race that you cannot win. Who or what is going to define define my worth? I want to read out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and it talks about this race. If we are constantly comparing ourselves to someone else and trying to define ourselves by the measurements of other people, we are always going to be running a race that we cannot win. Now, there's another race that it talks about that we can win in Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. What a what did Jesus say to Peter? What is it to you what he does? As for you, follow me. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And what this is really saying is, is that we need to stay in our lane. Focus on the race that is marked out for us. But Paul talks about it. He says, I am running the race that Christ has marked out for me to run. He did not compare himself to, to James. He didn't compare himself to anybody other than Jesus. And every time that he would look at Jesus, he would realize there was more work to be done. So when we see people who have things that we don't have, this scripture is indicating our eyes need to be focused on Jesus, on the race in front of us. So when someone else succeeds, when somebody else gets something, when somebody else gets blessing, we should celebrate that rather than be worried or frustrated or whining about it ourselves. That's what it means. To look at somebody else who, who's good to go on a vacation, good for them. I'm glad that they have the ability to do that. For somebody who gets a job promotion, good for them. I'm excited for that person because what God has for me is perfect for me. And that's hard. That's hard. First Corinthians chapter 9, he says, so we run to win. First Corinthians 9, 24 to 26, Paul says, we run to win our race not someone else's race. If I'm running on someone else's track, then I'm going to be disqualified from the race. I need to run on my race. We run to win. All athletes are disciplined in training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. So when we run for the Olympic medals, you run you know, any sporting con competition, you do it for a prize that will eventually fade away. But we do it, we run our race for an eternal prize, for the restoration of our lives, the restoration of our bodies, the restoration of the kingdom of God, for the, the new heaven and new earth that we talked about last week. We run for that. So I run with purpose in every step, he says. Purpose in every step means defining what's actually important. Is the house down the block what's important to compare yourself to? We have to be clear what's important and what is not. That's, I think, what, what Paul is getting at in this. 
what he's saying, like define what is important, run the race and take every step with purpose. And if I find myself constantly running a race, looking to the left, looking to the right, before I know it, I'm going to be in someone else's lane. Have you ever tried to do that? That's why compasses are important. You know, if you, I've always been like perplexed when you watch movies and people and they get lost in the woods and they end up finding themselves back at the same creek. There's always a creek or like always a tree that's marked. And this is where they started and they walk and they walk and they walk and then they get back and they're like, oh, we ended up in the same place again. Like this happens in movies, but it's because they're not using a compass, right? If you find yourself, this is what happens. There's just a natural tendency for us to veer in directions. And that's the primary way that we veer is by looking left or right, comparing ourselves to other people in their lanes. But if we're running a race and I'm in this lane and you're in that lane and you're in this lane and we're running the race, then when I start to look at you, I'm going to naturally tend to veer in that direction. Every purposeful step means considering what is important and what is not. Comparing ourselves in our jobs, comparing ourselves in our ministries, comparing ourselves in all of these things, we have to understand what is our race. My race is to be a pastor of a church that deeply loves each other and spends time investing in relationships and growing closer and closer to Christ. And my race seems to be destined for a church that is small and tightly knit. And if all I want to do is compare myself to pastors in my own network who are running their race and they're pastoring churches of, of 100, 500, 2,000, I will never be satisfied with what I am called to do. I will always be trying to run a race like that person. I'm going to be trying to wear shoes for the race like that guy. I'm going to be trying to wear clothes for that, like that person. I'm going to try to drink the Gatorade that they're drinking. You see what I'm saying? I have to focus on the race that God has put for me. He's called me to be a nerdy, Lord of the Rings loving, sci-fi addict nut who uses that to find ways to connect with people and to talk to them about it. For, and that usually connects with people who don't find connections elsewhere. But if I want to be the guy who uses cool illustrations and, and object lessons, that's not me. And when I do that, I'm going to lose a connection with the people that God has called me to run the race for. What is your race? What is it that you are called to? I think about you, Annie, and I don't mean to call you out, but you are called to run a race of writing a novel. And that connects you with people that are different than the people that I connect with, different than the people the rest of our church family connects with. Each one of us have a race to run. I'm called to run a race to be the best husband to Heather that I could possibly be, to be the best father that I could possibly be to Autumn and to Lincoln. You know, like to be the best possible technical recruiter that the University of Pittsburgh has ever seen. <laughs> like I have to define what's important. And I also define the things that are not important and push those away. We have to let Jesus determine our win. How do I know if I've won the race? How do I know? How do we know if each step in our race is getting us closer to the finish line that is what we're called to do? How do we know that? Well, we can't know that if we're going to be looking at the person to the left and right of us. We have to let Jesus determine that win. It takes getting into his presence. It takes getting into his space and saying, God, I lay my life out in front of you. 
All of these things have my attention. What are the things that I'm supposed to focus on? What do you want for my life? Should I be chasing that job? Should I be chasing that money? There was a, there was a time period where Heather um, got laid off several years ago. This was like seven, seven years ago, I think. And uh, Heather got laid off from her job over Thanksgiving. And we had a choice to make. We didn't have much money because she wasn't going to be working. And so she could have looked for another job. She could have, you know, chased after that. But in that moment, we felt like as a family, as a couple, that our son Lincoln needed, needed the this, this, this specific attention. In that time, Heather's race was to provide something that couldn't be provided for Lincoln in daycare. And so we made the choice to say no to more money more stability, less risk, because the race that Jesus mapped out for us was in that moment was to take care of our son in the way that he needed. So sometimes saying yes to the thing that God is saying to us means saying no to other things. And we have to, the only way that we're ever going to be at peace with that is if we're looking at Jesus, because he's going to nod as that's right. Keep going. Come on, keep going. It's like that spotter in the gym, right? If all I do is look at the guy next to me who's like bench pressing and, and like all of the heavy stuff and I, I'm looking at my weights and they're, they're small compared to him and I'm not listening to the voice of my spotter encouraging me, the coach saying, come on, just keep running, just keep running, keep focusing, look at me, keep looking at me, just keep coming this direction. You're doing great. You're doing awesome. Keep going. If I don't listen to him and I'm looking at this person and I'm listening to this person over here, I'm going to lose focus. I'm going to get tired. I'm getting exhausted. I begin to think about that my life is compared to these. I measure to these instead of what my coach is telling me. That's what it means. We need to focus on him. We need to hear what his wit is, what he's telling us that he wants for our lives and to be faithful for that thing. So this message is about comparison. How do I focus on what God has called me to do? We have to allow him to define our worth, allow him to define our value. Am I, are you proud of me? Am I measuring up? The only person we should be listening to is Jesus. Jesus, am I doing enough? Is my job, am I doing enough to honor you in my job? Am I being the kind of husband that you want me to be? Am I being the pastor that you're wanting me to be? And listening for his answers. Focusing on him, spending time with him, listening to worship music, taking time to read the Bible, journaling, going for walks and spending time alone with him. You know, like listening to podcasts. When the quarantine is over, you know, like, like going to events with other Christians and, and, and like anything that you can do to spend time with it, like buying books off of Amazon or having them words to you to read, to learn about, you know, the presence of God, spending time with him, you know, getting devotional books, all sorts of things will teach us to focus on him, to fix our eyes on him. And learning the focus needs to be on like that Jesus is already one. And when you feel like I can't, I'm not good enough, I can't measure up, I'm not doing a good enough job, even for people who seem to be in the same class and status as me in my in my race. No, don't look at them. Look at Jesus. He's already run the he's already run his race. He's already won his race. And he says, You are enough. 
You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are who you are meant to be. All I want for you is to keep moving. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. You're doing great. I love you. You fell down. Pick yourself up. I will help you get back up. I will hold you up. I will carry you for a little while. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to focus on him. God, I'm weak. I can't do it. Good. You recognize who you truly are. Let me carry you. Let me give you strength. Uh, if we are not spending time in his presence, he can't carry us. He can't encourage us. We won't hear his voice. We will forget what he sounds like. We'll start to hear the voices of everything else, the radio and the, the TV shows and the movies and the books and the labels and the other people at our jobs. All of those things happen when we don't spend time honing in and fixing our eyes on Jesus. There must be a focus and relationship with our Savior. We need to keep our eyes focused. We need to stay in our lane. And then we'll be fulfilling our call. And I can promise you this. I've experienced it myself. When you are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, you will sense a sense of fulfillment and peace in that thing because you'll know you are exactly what you are and where you're supposed to be in that moment. I'll close with this. Obviously, the story is still to be written. But in the fall, when we made the decision to move to the house church, I knew that there were a lot of risks. I knew that people would look at it and say, well, what happened? You guys went from 50 to 30 to 15. Something must be wrong. You know, um, I knew that there was a risk that people might say they're not going to come anymore. They might go to something else and it's different. It's, it's strange. I mean, this I mean, what we're doing here with the, with the internet, you know, like over Zoom is, is different. It's, um, but I had such a peace. I was praying for months. God, what do we, what do you want to do? because I kept feeling like I'm running a race that I'm not meant to be running. I, that's how I felt. I felt like the man who was running a race, trying to run it like other pastors. And yet it, there were signs, there were things that I just did not feel like were, didn't feel true to myself, didn't true to the calling that God had on me. And I just kept praying, God, what are, you, what are we doing? What do you want me to do? What do we want you to do? And this, this is where God led me to this space. And while it is different than many other churches, and while it would be very easy to measure our success and our wins like we would measure others, I knew this was the right thing for our church because I was fulfilled in the race that I was running. I had a sense of when I made the decision, when we started walking in that direction, and over the last several months, it's been what, six months now? And I love it. I love what we are doing. Is there more to be done? Sure. Are there things that we can do better? Sure. And we will continue to push. But what we are doing in my race, the race that God has called me to run, I feel at peace with it. I feel fulfilled. That is what is promised for each one of us when we discover the race that God has called us to run. When we stop comparing ourselves to other people who do similar things to us, but different, better or lower than us. When we stop comparing, we feel peace, we feel comfort, we feel less anxiety, less stress, because we are now just receiving like the spotlight, the warmth of like the sunlight of God's pleasant, his, his happiness, 
his glow, his blessing, his love on us. Like he's pleased with that. When he, when he sees his kids just doing what they're called to do, what they're made to do. And that's what our encouragement is for you today. Overcoming the curse of comparison by focusing on Jesus, staying in our lane, and just taking it a step every day, a step-by-step of purpose. Would you pray with me? God, this is so big, and it's also really hard. We live in a society where it's harder than ever. It is harder than ever to not compare ourselves to other people because we see everything into the lives of every person all over the place. And uh, it's really hard not to always think that the grass is greener or to put ourselves down that we're not good enough or that we're not worth as much as somebody else. And that is just a lie. I have discovered it, and yet I still struggle with it. God, I confess to you right now, to you and to this church, I struggle with comparing myself to other pastors. I struggle to compare myself to other men. I struggle comparing myself to other employees. I struggle comparing myself with my paycheck, with the houses that I live, all of these things. I struggle with that. And yet I have also, I have learned the secret of focusing on you, learning what you have called me to, what race I am to run. And I've found that every time that I focus on you and I focus on that race and then, and then push everything else to the side, the things that are not a part of that race, I feel peace and comfort and fulfillment. I want that for every person in church today. God, would you do that work that only your Holy Spirit can do? Use this message today to, to um, call out areas that we're, you know, um, comparing ourselves to other people, comparing ourselves to other things, whatever it might be. It's unique for each one of us, God. Let us individually confess that to you, repent of that, to focus on you, God. I want to spend time with you. I want to make time for you. I want to focus on you, laser-focused in on what you're saying to me. I want to hear you encouraging me. I want to hear you encouraging me in my, in my heart. I want to just to know what you're saying, to direct me and guide me. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives and just ask that you'll be with us as we go from this place today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.